Vision for a better time. Advent is for all of us who don't quite have our life together. It's an acknowledgement that we live in this time where grief is palpable, hearts can ache, and darkness closes in. It's quite the contrast to the shopping and the commercials that tell us that it's a holly jolly Christmas, the best time of the year. But honestly, we have to be in touch with the darkness for the light to even matter. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus who came to earth to drive out the darkness forever. Now his kingdom isn't fully here yet, but we catch glimpses of it when we open ourselves up to receiving and then returning his love. On the first Sunday in Advent, of course, we lit the hope candle, which I may need to replace by next week. Didn't think that through very well. Um, but it's the hope of a God who shows up in our darkest hour, through us, between us, and in spite of us. When we acknowledge that death and darkness don't have the final word, we can believe the angels when they say, do not be afraid. And we can join in their heavenly and sometimes broken hallelujahs. Today we lit the peace candle. In Hebrew, peace is, of course, shalom. Frederick Beekner says, that shalom means having everything you need to be holy and happily yourself. One of the titles that Jesus is known by is, of course, Prince of Peace. For Jesus, peace seems to have meant not necessarily the absence of struggle, but the presence of love. So we're going to hear from the prophet Joel about some struggles that we're going to try to connect with the shepherds who often didn't feel much love. Leading up to our scripture passage, we learn that Joel is reporting on the devastating effect of a locust infestation. Oops, I missed my prince of peace. The fields are demolished. All the trees are dried up. Joy has withered away from the people. It also says that the fire has devoured the pastures. Even the animals are groaning and crying out because of the drought in the land. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. How's that for bleakness of Advent? This scene takes us right up to our scripture passage for today. And I asked Cooper if he would come up here and read it for us. It comes from the second chapter of Joel, verses 12 and 13, and then verses 28 and 29. Yet even now, says the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding with steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on male and female slaves. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. Thanks, Cooper. Let us pray. Jesus, you are the light of the world. Penetrate our hearts and minds with your light from the words just read and the words to come. Amen. So what's in your sack? The traveler asked to someone who was stooped from the heaviness, the traveler says, my mother, isn't she heavy? She sure is. Well, why don't you put her down? 
I can't. Well, why can't you stop carrying her? I don't know. I've always carried her. I know this. I, too, carry a sack, and I'm reluctant to put it down. In fairness to mothers everywhere, we could have used any metaphor, because here's the deal. What's in the sack isn't the primary issue. What, the, what is is the stuff that we're carrying that weighs us down heavy enough to crush our spirit and to steal our peace and to make our lives feel desolate. Our sacks can carry a whole lot of things. The anxiety from the day, resentment from past grievances, woundedness from an unfair life, unresolved feelings regarding an unpaid debt, fear of conflict, a preoccupation with busyness, our itch for perfection, our clinging to self-righteousness. Whatever it is, we are consumed, and we often find reassurance in the weight. Whatever it is, every single sack prevents us from experiencing peace and from, and from embracing life as a gift. There was no peaceful feeling in Joel nor any hint that life could have been a gift. Joel describes a time when things sound about just as bad as they could possibly be. Locusts have devoured all of the food, fire, drought, sun, moon, and stars no longer shining. People are in anguish. Now they may or may not have caused this tragic life that they're caught in, like if you were born in Syria or if you were on the Ohio State campus that day when that crazy guy drove his car into the crowd of people and, and took out a knife and started attacking them. Or maybe they created their own desert of a life by not putting down their sack of sadness, anxiety, and regret. Or maybe they created their mess of their life by making bad choices like cheating or lying or laughing at the kid who smells bad and pulls a rolly backpack. This reminded me of a boy that I knew in elementary school. He and his family were pig farmers. This scrawny short kid named Byron came to school every single day with holes in his jeans, not the cool kind of rips. The aroma of pig manure clung to his skinny body like a cheap perfume. He always stunk like his morning chores. Byron was this sweet, quiet kid. I don't really remember him being bullied much as much as I remember him being ignored and avoided. Well, Byron surprised all of us by showing up at our 10-year high school class reunion. This quiet son of a pig farmer somehow had managed to grow over six feet tall, get a college degree, biceps, and a successful career. <laughs> he was still quiet, but his smile was radiant. One night we were talking together about our time in elementary school, and he said he didn't really remember that it was so bad, except for the time when the photographer came. So this local photographer was getting a class picture, and he put all the short kids in front in a chair, which of course is where Byron would be, and then behind them were the bigger kids. He says he will never forget the shame he felt when this photographer said in front of his whole class, Byron, you should put your hands on your knees to cover the holes in your pants. 
Byron didn't do anything to deserve the shame and the desolation that he felt, yet it was a sack that he carried with him. So Joel doesn't name a specific sin, and he doesn't necessarily blame the people for doing anything wrong. In the scripture passage, they sound like innocent victims who were just ravaged by natural disaster. Unless, of course, the locusts, the fire, the drought were all sent to a sinful people to grab their attention and to encourage them to repent. Whatever the cause, with all of this desolation, we hear those three encouraging words, yet even now, no matter how full our sack, whatever we have done or left undone or fallen victim to, there is still a window of opportunity to return to the Lord with all our heart. And it all starts with the heart, in my heart, in your heart, one person at a time. We have this opportunity to return to the Lord, to lay down our sack, not because of anything that we have done, or not because we deserve it, but because of who God is. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Lay down your sack. The passage in Job goes on to say that when we repent and return to God with our whole hearts, who knows, perhaps God will relent and will leave a blessing for us. It kind of reminds me when we talked about Jonah, how he went and preached to those people of Nineveh, and they actually did repent, and God did change his mind, and he did bless them. And that's exactly what happens in this story in Joel. Our God, who is abounding in steadfast love, he has a response, and it is one of restoration and peace and abundance. And then... Cooper read for us, that God promises his spirit. Now, this is one of my favorite parts in this passage. God says in verse 28, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is, of course, the Pentecost passage. He names young and old, women and men, and even the lowliest of all, the slaves. God's spirit is for all people, which is good news for the likes of me and maybe even for you. We get verification of this all-encompassing love when we look at God's entry point into the world. The Son of God bypasses the proud and the powerful in favor of a stable, surrounded by livestock and visited by lowly shepherds. In 2 Corinthians, verses, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, we read, Though he was rich... Yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. While it's clear that Christ came to be a savior for all persons, rich and poor alike, it's also equally clear that God chose to dwell among the least and the lost, those of us carrying heavy sacks. Humble shepherds were the first visitors who received the news of Jesus' birth. This speaks volumes about the God we worship and really about the call that he has on each one of our lives and how we're to treat other people. 
In Christ's day, shepherds stood on the bottom rung of the Palestinian social ladder. They shared the same unenviable status as tax collectors and dung sweepers. This is in great contrast to the time of the patriarchs when shepherding was really a noble occupation. Remember Abraham or Jethro or Moses, just to name a few of the great shepherds of days past. But in the days of the prophets, shepherds were despised in everyday life. In general, they were considered second-class citizens and completely untrustworthy. Some shepherds earned their poor reputation. Many, however, were just victims of a cruel stereotype. Shepherds were described as incompetent and that no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. Shepherds were deprived of all civil rights. They could not fulfill judicial offices or even being admitted to court as a witness. Doesn't that sound kind of like how we treated slaves in the early days of America? They were less than human. Can you imagine not feeling obligated to save a human being who has fallen into a pit? Lord, help us. To buy wool, milk, or a lamb from a shepherd was forbidden just on the assumption that it was stolen property. Shepherds were officially labeled sinners, which is a technical term for a class of despised people. In this social context of religious snobbery and class prejudice, God's son stepped forth. How surprising and significant that God the Father handpicked lowly, unpretentious shepherds to first hear the joyous news. It's a boy, and he's the Messiah. What an affront this must have been to the religious leaders of the day who were so conspicuously absent from the divine mailing list. Even from birth, Christ moved among the lowly. It was the sinners, not the self-righteous, he came to save. He came for all of us with our sacks full of prejudice, jealousy, and pride. He came for all of us who are broken. A troubled boy asked a man whether he, there was any compelling reason for him to not pull the legs off of the spider. The man said that there was. Well, spiders don't feel any pain, said the boy. And the man said, it's not the spider that I'm worried about. Yet even now, return to the Lord with all your heart. It's ironic that Jesus claimed and redeemed the shepherd figure, isn't it? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. And the good news is, because we are his sheep, he lays his life down for us. From Psalm 100, we read, Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And we all know the story about Jesus who left the 99 sheep to save the one lost sheep. We're the lost sheep carrying our heavy sack. Another good example of the good shepherd is found in the bummer lamb. Sheila Walsh grew up in Scotland, surrounded by sheep. And she says that every once in a while, there would be a female sheep who would not care for her baby lamb. It could be that she had twins, or she says it could be that she's just old and tired of this business. But if 
This lamb was abandoned. The only way it could survive is by having a good shepherd gather the lamb and bring it into his house and bottle feed it and hold it close to his heart so the lamb could feel the heartbeat. He would, as soon as the lamb was strong enough, he would send it out to the other sheep. And this lamb, by the way, has a name. It's called a bummer lamb, B-U-M-M-E-R. She says that the most beautiful sight ever is when the shepherd would go out in the morning and call his sheep. The first ones running towards him were the bummer lambs. And here's why. Because they could recognize his voice. It's not that they were more loved than the other lambs and the other sheep, but they thought they were, and they knew, they recognized his voice. In John 10, verses 3 and 4, we read, He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. And this voice is one that is full of grace and mercy and steadfast love. It's the kind of voice you can trust, a place where you can lay down your heavy sack. And you know that once you lay down your sack and return to the Lord with all your heart, you will be filled with a peace that passes all understanding. And once again, you'll be able to embrace the gift of life. It's like the Merino sheep that was discovered by a hiker in the Australian bush. This sheep had wandered away from the fold probably five or six years earlier. So typically, merinos are um, shorn once a year. Well, this sheep was probably never, ever shorn. I'm not a sheep farmer. Um, so his wool had grown to be about four or five times the normal amount of wool for a merino sheep, resulting in some serious health problems. His hooves were barely visible. His eyes were mostly covered. They named him Chris. Chris was the size of a refrigerator and the color of dirty snow. He was blinded by the wool that was in his eyes. His hooves were damaged from carrying all the weight of that extra wool. He had skin burns from urine that was trapped in his fleece. And if he had ever fallen down, he would have had a really hard time getting up and escaping any, any predators that would be after him. They sheared off nearly 90 pounds of wool giving Chris this new lease on life. Friends, what's in your sack that's weighing heavy on you? Set down your sack at the foot of the cross and return to the Lord with all your heart. Christ was born in a humble manger for the lowly shepherds, the pig farmers, the troubled boys, the bummer sheep, and for all of us, all of us who have felt rejected and abandoned and unworthy. Yet even now, return to the Lord with all your heart and experience peace that passes all understanding and embrace life as a gift. Amen. So... I have an announcement to make to this um, lovely congregation today. So we have been um, having months and months of prayer and discernment about how we